to C3 Church Hepburn Heights. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoy this message today. Welcome. Well, this Hi. is Pilgrim Stories. This is Pilgrim Stories. Well, that's what I've got on my notes, so I hope so. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. This is going to be weird. So the first, the first moment uh, we, we touch down in Tel Aviv and we all get our stuff and, and uh, get onto the bus. And yes. our local tour guide, Nael, uh, who is an Arab Christian born and raised in Nazareth, which uh, Nazareth actually has the highest concentration of Christians in Israel. And Nael, as we hopped on the bus and started driving, he's like, you have all read the Bible. Now you get to see the Bible. <laughs> and that was one of the beautiful things that kind of set the tone. Then fell over the minivan. And as we, we just went... Like- Oh, wow. Wow. And there is this incredible coming together of history and archaeology that relentlessly, day after day, just continues to prove our theology and deepen the understanding of who Jesus was, what he has done, and then the history of God's people. Uh, quite, quite special. So today we're going to give you a taste test of some of our pilgrim stories. So as Pastor Ben has just lovely introduced us, so we have just come back from a uh, eight-day trip to the Holy Land, which was at the back end of our long service leave, and uh, we got the pleasure of doing it with a lovely group of people who mm. I'll introduce you to in a second. They'll come up on the screen, and uh, if. You've been on Jace's socials and, you know, had a wide open mouth because he actually posted something. You'll notice that he's... I'm done for the next 10 years. He's done for the next 10 years. Um, So, (laughs) Jace has put a lot of photos up. There's a five-part posting happening, but he's only got to part four. So, he's forgot. I ran ran out of part five. Part five's coming. Part five's coming. Uh, So, if you want to see some more photos and things, jump onto his socials as well as mine. Um, And if you are listening online, if on the podcast today, what we'll do is we'll link actually the photos that we're showing on the screen Mm. in the show notes. So, you can click on that so you can have a visual experience as well as an audible one. However, if you want to just jump onto Church Online, we've also done this on YouTube as well on YouTube. So, that is for our listening audience. Thank you very much. Great. Let's let's pray. Let's pray. (sighs) Father, we thank you for your incredible love for each and every person. We thank you that, God, your love was so demonstrated through Jesus Christ. And today, would we see something of the Saviour afresh? Great Holy Spirit, would you speak to each and every one of us and through what we discuss and show and as we gather together here with a, with a heart of worship, we thank you that, Jesus, you'd be glorified and that we would know you more and be transformed more and more into your image. And so we love you, our King, in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Right, so coming up, first photo, here is an introduction to the tour group uh, coming up on the screen behind us. So yeah. jumped off the plane and uh, made our way down to inner city Jerusalem and Nael took us to this iconic spot that you can see in many photos and videos mm. that are used regularly. The Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives gave us kind of an introduction. It was a bit of a hazy day. And so just so you know who went with us, who we've got there is on the far, that, 
that direction, I'm looking at that one, uh, is my dad and Denise. And so this was my dad's fifth trip to Israel and Denise's fourth. And so when my dad was an Anglican, Anglican minister through the 80s and 90s, he, um, he took it upon himself to take pilgrims. And so it was a great treat and bucket list for him to be able to take me. So he had done a lot of the international liaising. It was really helpful for Dad to yeah. kind of have a real sense of, of lots of things. And then him and Denise, my stepmum, became like tour mum and dad for us, uh, leading the crew and leading us in lots mm. of devotional and leadership spaces. And then we can see there also we've got um, a couple of beautiful pastor friends from around the movement, Nick and Mel Hine from C3 Belconnen and Dan and Hannah Gorey uh, from C3 Corumban. And that rounded out the pilgrim trip of eight alongside Nael, our tour guide on the ground, and Paul, our bus driver. Yeah, that's right. So maybe let's have the vid here and, and get a bit of a, a look. So this is, again, we're up the top of the Mount of Olives. You can actually see on the, on the right there is the Garden of Gethsemane, and there are all of these tombs. Uh, that and that's a story in itself. A lot of money to have a tomb there, and, and in the background that we've just gone by is the city of Jerusalem. And yeah, that's the view when you're reading scripture and hear the Mount of Olives talked about. That's uh, something of what it looks like from there. And so then looking down at the at the bottom, you have the Kidron Valley running through. And so again, this this shot gives you an idea. This was actually the day we were we were doing a bit of the journey that Jesus had walked. And so here, walking from the Mount of Olives, um, down some ancient pathways, and then into the Kidron Valley, and then up into the, the city of Jerusalem. And that's, that's what Jesus walked from, from Bethany uh, into, into Jerusalem for the Passover, for the Last Supper. Uh, and So we're going to share kind of is. five contexts here today. There's a lot more that we could do, but when we're pulling this together, it's sort of five movements, five places that, that really, really resonated with us in, in a really broad mm. way. And uh, so we're starting now. We're going to go to the Church of All Nations. And uh, this is a church built on the site um, of the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful church. Uh, it's a mm. it's a very well frequented church. It appears on all the kind of the tour guide places, and it's it's quite beautiful from the outside. And I'm going to show you now a video on the inside. And this was one of those churches that I just I actually loved the beauty of it and the sacredness of it. Uh, the the skyline reminds me of kind of Van Gogh. It's it's referring to kind of the nighttime, obviously the night Jesus was betrayed, and it, and it had such a kind of quiet hmm. stillness uh, and sacredness that was quite beautiful. You can see there the light shining through and just stood there at the back. Now, what you will notice about this potentially is how few people were there. Uh, now, this was miraculous. <laughs> uh, for those of you that have been to Israel or know about Israel, you are basically constantly fighting, not physically, <laughs> but uh, negotiating crowds. And I'm not talking like 10, 20, 40 people, hundreds Hundreds and yeah. hundreds, queues out the door, waiting hours sometimes to get into some places. You have to get your head around that or it, yeah. it can get so frustrating that all of these stupid people are ruining your moment with Jesus. <laughs> and so our whole faith, which is about loving others, kind of gets turned upside down when you're trying to go somewhere to meet Jesus. And so it's, a, it's actually really good to have to manage that on the inside. <laughs> And so, and then the next pick after that, um, what you'll see. And so, just on the left-hand corner there, you'll notice a nun. 
just sitting there. And that was really impacting to both of us, wasn't it? The whole time we were there, she's just sitting in silent worship yeah. in this, this beautiful old church. And as we, we actually left and as we looked back up, we saw there were approximately something like 10 60-seater tourist buses that had just pulled in. This is like 15 minutes after we were in there. So then you have like 500 people would have been packing that building and we had this beautiful little be worship moment. Probably 15, 20 minutes, basically just with our small tour group, this nun, and I think at one stage there was one other person. You can see there the rock um, at the altar and so that's, that's essentially the the rock that Jesus went to pray on in the garden. And so this is what happens all the time in Israel is that a site is deemed sacred or it's deemed the location where something happened and then they build a church on it. <laughs> and some of those churches are spectacular and beautiful and sacred like one of these and then some of them, which we'll tell you about in a minute, are, are not quite as... Yeah. But so the logic at the time, though, was if we build a church here, we get to preserve the site. And, and so now we'd go, oh, I wish it was like authentic. I want it to look like what it did 2,000 years ago. And again, it's something you have to climb over because everywhere you go, it, it doesn't look like what it did 2,000 years ago. But this was the logic, preserve the site, put a church on it. So just beside this church is the Garden of Gethsemane. And so um, Jonah's going to put that video up now, just a little. So you can't actually enter it. it it's fenced off. But again, just a small portion a, of what was a, there. Quite a beautiful, beautiful garden that um, just resides beside the church, and so you can wander around and kind of reflect. And for me personally, the Garden of Gethsemane has has I've, it's been quite an impacting image metaphor kind of in my life, and so I found that quite significant to be able to see it. And here we go. Here is uh, an olive tree. Now. For those of you that are, you know, far more horticultural than me, uh, I was quite struck by the olive trees in Israel because they aren't particularly beautiful. They're actually pretty gnarly looking. Uh, and so you can see there that the, the bark is quite rough and the branches are quite uh, skew-if. And, you know, they're a desert mm. tree. They're built for arid conditions. And so that's one of the reasons why they're regarded as a national tree of Israel because they're actually symbolic because... Olive trees need to get deep down beneath the rough soil and they need to have a depth and a tenacity and that actually often reflects the Jewish people. And uh, so I became quite fond of olive trees because they feature everywhere all over the place. Um, and what's pretty fascinating about this tree is hmm. that this is potentially the, the great-granddaughter or the great-great-granddaughter of the actual tree that was in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was there um, at that time. Yeah, this is the oldest tree left remaining in the garden. And so, and it's moments like that that were kind of like it, it's just a different universe to where we live here, thinking this, what this tree has seen over a couple of thousand of years couple of thousand years and could have had the saviour kneeling right next to that tree is anguish and horror of what he went through the night before he was crucified as he, he counted the cost and ultimately we we have paid he paid the price so that we can share that victory with him so this whole location just really resonated with me about pace um, we really took it slowly and there was such a sense of just being able to gently kind of wander through the church and around the garden that really kind of just settled in me. There was a real <clears throat> sense of unhurriedness through my whole long service leave and this place really highlighted that to me and I was just, as Jay said, so 
thankful to God when we kind of looked back and saw these hordes of people making their way in that I was like, okay, I really felt God kind of parted the waters and enabled us to have this really still moment and really just emphasise to me that he's always working. He's got a macro perspective and I just need to be unhurried and present to see what he's doing. Mm, Yeah, great. Great. Okay, so now we're going to drive 45 minutes east uh, into the Judean wilderness. And so here we go uh, to where, to Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And so let's show that little vid, gives a little snippet of, so the desert, the wilderness is, is a very appropriate term. This is dry and arid land and really rocky ground. I have, if you like this stuff, I did bring some back. Uh, so I have rocks, rocks. from some uh, rocks from most places. And that worked all well. We, uh, although we did bring a timber nativity back and declared the staff, and so they were looking through what's appropriate. And uh, unfortunately, our nativity set was it had bark on it because I, I like rough and rugged and so it's now on its way to Melbourne uh, to get gamma radiation and come back like Spider-Man or something and uh, it's the most expensive nativity set we have yeah. in our life <laughs> that is costing more than the set cost but we're <laughs> my only so yeah. when Nail was driving us to this location you kind of like you actually feel like you are in the middle of nowhere and like he started joking with us he's like you know just trust me he's like we're going off the beaten track you're in the middle of the desert he's like trust me I know where know where we're going not kidnapping you not kidnapping you and um, we pull up in this small tiny little car park that's it's not. It's got a small. Looks like sign. nothing. Yeah. It looks kind of nothing, and the expanse of the aridness of the landscape just like blew me away. And as it was most days, we were there. It was over forty degrees, um, so it's about 42, 43 this day, and it's a dry, really all-encompassing heat and knocks you about. And obviously, a lot of the places we were visiting were outside, so you've really got to kind of get used to that. And he pulls us up into this small kind of car park. And he often didn't sort of necessarily tell us specifically what we're about to see or what we're about to do when we get out. And he points at the rocks. Now, what you'll see on this side here is those kind of large cave-like openings. But if you actually head over this direction, basically through the middle, you'll see Mm. another two or three tiny, tiny little holes in, in the landscape. And he points to that and he goes, that's where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. The first, first lot. The yeah. first lot. In 1947, and I know many of you probably know this historically, but when you're standing in the location of that, like, the ridiculousness of it blew me away. So the first lot of Dead Sea Scrolls was found by accident by a Bedouin shepherd, teenage shepherd boy, who was out tending to his flocks through a rock because he was, he was scaring them away or there was a process with that accidentally kind of hit this jar. So threw it into a dark, into the dark cave, didn't know where he was throwing it. Heard this sort of clink noise and goes and discovers uh, a clay jar with the portion portion of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Which is scripture. And then over the the, the next sort of four or five years, there was up to 950 fragments found in this part of the desert by both... Um, Bedouins and archaeologists and as I'm standing there I'm like really Lord like we're talking like a 2,000 year old manuscript it's only about this big 
when it's in, in its width, rolled up inside a clay jar in the middle of the desert and has been found by accident by a teenage boy who wasn't even intending on looking. And when you're standing there in the middle of it, it feels so needle in a haystacky. It feels like the weirdest... I just was, like, struck by God's sense of humour. I'm like, so there was a shepherd and there was a desert and there was a rock and there was a... And there is like the enduring word of God... And yeah. I, yeah, it, one of those it, jokes. An Englishman, an Irishman, and a Welshman walk into a bar. It's, uh, yeah, and here it was. Yeah. Sorry, you were and struck. That whole sense of like, what was that? I just interrupted, and so I'm just throwing back to you to continue. And so I was just totally struck by the, the fact that God's word endures, right? Not just literally, but symbolically. Yeah. For me, the fact it was in the desert really struck me because it's like the word of God sticks in the desert. The word of God lives in the desert. So even in the most arid conditions in our heart, even what can feel like the most barren, dry landscape, the word of God lives. God it breathed. It lives in us. It breathes in us. It endures in God us. breathed. And God just, I just think he has the wildest sense of humour. I was just like, really, Lord? And it's just such an unassuming location. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to... And so an entire scroll of Isaiah was found. And so it's, it's sat there for nearly 2,000 years. As the Essenes, they kind of fled into the desert to try to be holy and really revered scripture. Uh, they went off and got slaughtered because they made some mistakes in their theology and thought the Messiah was going to come and save them in this battle, take on the Romans, no dramas. Hide the scrolls in a cave. And, and so 2,000 years later, when, when you then look at the scroll of Isaiah, and if we have the next photo there, when, you, when they compared the scroll of Isaiah to what we have in our Bible, of the book of Isaiah, then you have same, same. And so again, there's just all of this where you, you're like, man, archaeology proving the validity of the Word of God and, and this incredible king that we, that we serve. And it's just over and over. And every day there were so many moments like that. And I, I had a breathtaking moment so this is a shrine here. of the book. So you can't actually take photos here. It's, it's a holy, so we, we got this holy one online. museum where a lot of the fragments are. They're faxed versions of them. So they're not the physical, actual versions. They're like copies. But that whole kind of... Uh, structure you can see in the middle is around that whole structure, the, the Book of Isaiah. So it's actually a complete, yeah. utter replica. And so the actual building you're in there is, the, it's supposed to look like the inside of a clay pot. And so that's the whole museum and it comes up. And so you're in there and then seeing right in the centre a part of this scroll of Isaiah and just... Oh, God's word. It was just, yeah, I literally had a little breathtaking moment. Kind of humorous about this is this whole location here is um, you can't take photos there because of the flashlight and it's all a particular temperature. And it's like they're preserving copies of what they've done. And I was like, God's like, yeah, no, I did okay with that for 2,000 years out in the middle of the desert. <laughs> yeah, in a clay pot. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. we're. It's so precious to kind of keep these replicas. I just thought that was, again, humorous. Yes, yes. Okay, third, third movement. We're heading back into Jerusalem here. Uh, and we're, let's, let's go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And Sepulchre is a, like a, a stone tomb. And, and so this is the church, which is considered the most holy site in Christendom. And this is the place that houses Golgotha 
and where Christ was crucified and Joseph of Arimathea's tomb where Jesus was buried and rose all under in, in this one church. But first, before we get there and get all spiritual, this is a really impressive door. Uh, so I'm a carpenter by trade. I've hung thousands of doors. I've never hung a whatever that is, four, five metre uh, high door. I think it would be heavy. Uh, and there's actually a tour you can do in Jerusalem called the Doors of Jerusalem. And they take you around and look at all these different doors. So anyway, if I'm, too, if I'm there with any carpenters one time, we can, uh, I just saw Duncan before, we can go do that. The doors we can do that Jerusalem. tour, mate. So see, Pritchie's here too, I think. It's all Pritchie. <laughs> actually, just so you know, sorry, so Mark Pritchard actually taught me how to chisel my first hinge. Um, on well a door uh, many moons ago. Chisler. Thanks, Mark. You did well. You did well. <laughs> uh, and so the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, as Jay said, is, is regarded as one of the holiest, holiest sites in, in the Christian world. And it's shared, so get this, and I use that term very loosely, it is shared, the Church, by six denominations. And so six denominations have a portion of, of the church and they look after the church and they're allowed yeah, to ownership, stewardship, their yeah. faith and their expression of faith in that way. However, that isn't working particularly well. Unity is not easy. And here is a reminder for all of Christendom about what not to do and how we have to strive to fulfil Jesus' last prayer for the church to be unified, how, how it's a beautiful concept, but it's a really difficult living reality for us to actually walk in that. So this is the main entry. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't look anything special here, but you can see the, the window up on your right. There's a little timber ladder on the ledge. And if we go to the next photo and zoom in, you can see there's a little timber stepladder up on the window ledge. That's been there for nearly 300 years. Now, it was put there to fix something on the window and then a dispute broke about whose territory the ladder was on and who could touch it, who couldn't, and it ended up where they had to leave it and now no one can even bring it up or touch it. So in the entry to the most holy site in Christendom is a ladder of disunity. And so for you and I, like, again, when you stop and think about what that's really saying, it's like, God, would you help us never to be in that place where we elevate something above what should be elevated highest? And again, love is a beautiful concept until someone ticks you off or someone has a slightly different version of something that you're really passionate about in the Word of God, but someone is equally passionate about something, how can you be unified despite that? And so there is a place for us to live that is not unfortunately being demonstrated here for us to find together. Help so us, God. actually said, he, he, encouraged, he said, it's good to see this church, but not for the reasons that you think. Yeah. And so whilst it features as, you know, holy side and everyone should get there, it, it actually is quite a confronting place because of this lack of unity and lack of continuity and because you absolutely have to almost wrestle to see God. And so whilst it's meant to be, you know, the, the side of Golgotha, and we'll, we'll now show you uh, the video, uh, and it's iconic, uh, it's full of glitz and glare. And so this is a small here, video yeah. that I took, and Greek Orthodox um, actually house this particular portion where you can then go and put your hand down beneath the ground and touch the site where Jesus was crucified. But it's like, it looks like our foil. There's just 
alfoil everywhere and it's glitzy and glary and again you're negotiating lots of lots of tourists and lots and lots of noise um, and then there's if you want to put that next photo up Jonah and so then that's that's a view looking at this holy site. So there's a shrine there where you can put your hand down. And you, if you can just have a look at, like, the roof line, and it's like, it's kind of a hot mess. And this is just one portion of it. Um, and other portions of the church are full of scaffolding and, uh, like, broken tiles. And then there's another portion that it's, like, admits construction. And it's the whole thing... You you. It just feels very complicated and in some ways quite heartbreaking. Uh, and in, in, like Jay said, just that sense of disunity. It's like who, who can do the kind of the weirdest, wildest display of Jesus maybe? Um, and so we'll show you the next vid now. And so this is what you do is you, you duck your head under and then you put your hand down the ground and you, you can touch the side of Golgotha. Yeah. And so you're like, it's a, it's a real conflict because you're trying to have a moment to worship him and thank him for what happened. And, and this is, like, they're, they're really sure this is the geographical spot where he gave his life. And you're, you're trying, but there's, there's no kind of feeling, there's no, doesn't, it just doesn't feel like worship in the place. And I, I think there is, like, such truth that where there is unity, God commands a blessing. And it's like where there's not unity, there's just, like, a lack of blessing. And so it just, it just kind of felt like that in the space. And I've kind of felt that sense of almost grief. It was almost like a righteous anger, you know, like we, we see in Jesus, you know, when he comes into the temple and, he, you know, we see him in Matthew 21 and he's getting rid of all the, all the trade and all the money and he's kind of, you know, you've, you've made, made my, my house like this place that is not what it is. It kind of it felt like that within me. And so whilst I'm pleased we went and saw it, it's not a place necessarily where I'd want to go back. Yeah, and there's, I think one of the key things that you find in Israel is there's such a difference between a tourist and a pilgrim. And a, a tourist comes to be entertained and to look and to see, but the posture of a pilgrim is worship. And so a tourist comes to see, a pilgrim comes to seek. And I think for us, whether we're visiting sites like this, whether we're visiting our Bible in the morning, whether we're in church, we can come with a tourist mentality just to see, just to be entertained. Uh, and that creates a whole atmosphere around us, in us. Uh, or we come as a, as a pilgrim, as a follower of Jesus to worship and to seek. And that's where everything opens up and it's a totally different universe. So we're and now going to contrast... That's the next posture here. Yeah. So we then went to a place called the Garden Tomb. And now this doesn't frequent necessarily super high on Google or on places to visit um, with the the generic tours. Uh, And so it's not a historical place or an archaeological place, but it's a place of worship that has kind of been created right in the heart of Jerusalem, only about a kilometre. A kilometre, yep, from the the actual site. The Holy Sepulchre. And it's a beautiful garden and there's some fountains and there's quiet places of reflection and there's sort of worshipful places um, and there's also a replica tomb um, of the one similar to what Jesus would have been buried in and it's it's a non it's run by a charitable organization a non-denominational organization uh, essentially is is run by volunteers and uh, with a heart to worship with a heart to worship 
And so my dad loves this place and highly recommended that we go there. In fact, there was a time in his life that he too would have liked to have volunteered there, but there is now a two-year waiting list. Um, Loads of ex-pastors just yeah, want to go volunteer because you take groups through, you do communion with them. There's little spots where you sit in the garden. And so where we were, there was a, a Filipino group, about 60 of them. And so they're worshipping over here. Uh, and then well, we had construction noise over here, which is just, you get that everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then other groups here in prayer and then our little group. But there are little signs like this, which simple, beautiful things uh, like here, John eleven twenty five, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And the next pick uh, is just, again, simple things like this that contain profound truth. Because he lives, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of a man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. And the next pick. Communion. And so then while we were here, my dad led us in communion. And so you'll see on the table there little tiny timber little chalices that are actually handmade from olive wood um, at at the garden tomb. And so this was just a very beautiful, sacred moment for us as our little tour guide and tour group. And as Jay said, there was hustle and bustle and there was all sorts of things going on. But again, we just took that unhurried posture and we focused on Jesus And it was just such a stark contrast to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. There was no bells and whistles. There was no massive alfoil. It was just garden and gentleness and enabled Mm. us to to catch our breath and really enjoy that moment. And so it was really special. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And for all of us, we have to to fight for these moments in the, the busyness of life and all that's happening is just to, to when you get little sacred moments to commune with him and when you get to do it with others, uh, very, very special. And we get to do that every week as well, gathering together to come with a worship posture to, to see Jesus afresh. And this last pick here is just looking up. So we, we all just took a moment. We had 30 minutes to sit in the garden and pray and worship after after communion, just looking up and, and beautiful blue sky and trees and simplicity. And, yeah. and so, Lord, would you help each of us to make space for moments like this with you? To see you, to know you, to behold you, to look up, not just look out at all that's happening around us, not just look in at what's stirring within, but to look up and see you. We honour you, Jesus. We honour you, Jesus. Okay, let's, let's jump in the car again. And we're driving 30 minutes south down to Bethlehem. So this was an interesting, interesting space that uh, Bethlehem is inside of the Palestinian territory inside of Israel. So Jews aren't allowed into that space, into the West Bank. And so Nael, our tour guide, uh, is a, an Arab Christian, so he's allowed access into, into all parts. But if you have a Jewish tour guide, they can't take you in there. They have to switch over to another tour guide. 
And so it, there's a different feel in those Palestinian territories. So that's nothing like what we see on our Hallmark Christmas card, just, you know, Bethlehem. Bethlehem, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so it actually in some ways feels quite war-torn and quite uneasy and quite third-worldy as you're driving through the streets. There's a lot of graffiti, uh, a lot of unfinished structures, It kind of a lot of dirty homes and dirty streets. And there's just... And as a woman, and it was quite quite a different feel for Jace, but it, it did have an uneasy feeling on me. It, it wasn't a place that I would necessarily be quite happy and content to wander around solo, really wanted to, to stick with the group and only went to places that, that we knew were um, acceptable and okay. And so it just, again, and I sort of alluded to this last week, I said, most pla- I had all my expectations were completely wrong. Uh, everywhere we went, wh- whatever I thought I in my head the way it would look, it generally didn't. Sometimes that, that was blown way out of the water and it was way better, and sometimes it was blown out of the water in a negative way. And Bethlehem was one of those places that I went. Oh. Uh, in some ways, in terms of the overall feel of the place, however, when we got to the Church of the Nativity. And there's a video coming up now. Um, and this is the oldest major church in the Holy Land. And this is the birth site of Jesus' birth. Obviously, we're in Bethlehem. And so you you enter this kind of large church and then you go beneath the ground. So you can see this. This is Jace taking a video of us. Stepping down. Into like a cave-like Yeah, structure. down to the grotto. Down into the grotto beneath the surface because you know, Jesus was born in a cave. <laughs> uh, and so that... That's a lot of structures there. And then you can see we're in here, this cave-like area. And you'll probably notice again the lack of people. So Denise said sometimes there's a square called the Manger Square outside this church, and that is often jam-packed with people. And it can take you an hour and a half just to do what we did in 30 seconds. So again, we were just... We walked straight in. in. And walked down. She said, I've never seen it this quiet. And then in And will you walk in through a four-foot door? to get into this church. So back in the day, the four-foot door was put there because too many people were riding their horses into church and disrupting things. So if we put a small door in, they can't ride their horse in, unless you had a real bubba horse, maybe. And so, yeah. I was going to say a fold, but that's a, that is a baby. Anyway, we are, and now it's called the doorway of humility. Um, and so you go into this area, and, and again, just the stark contrast to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Uh, there's a second video that, that Jonah will show you announce. This is me just kind of panning that room. Very so simple. It's, it's bizarre, right? So there's, it's incredibly old. Uh, there's a lot of dirt and unstructuredness. There's the, the tiling is broken. The roof is... It's a cave, yeah. ...like a cave. Things have just kind of been slapped on the wall. Uh, and really, for the, for the better part of the time that we were in there, it was just our tour group and a handful of other people. And um, a pilgrim walked in. He was robe, we assume, a monk of some description, and just took his shoes off and just knelt there the entire time that we were there. And then Paul, our bus driver, who's uh, a good Roman Catholic boy, uh, he generally didn't come into places with us. He's obviously done this, you know, a million times as this is what he does for a a job. I didn't get a photo of it. Um, But he just walked in and completely, utterly prostrate on the ground and just lies flat and puts his hand down uh, the the, the place where... Because it's got a a shrine come up in again in in a minute. Um, And that... So Jason and I are just standing in this 
in this unexpected place again uh, and just you can see they were sort of just having a moment of reflection and that was holy. <laughs> this was probably for me one of the biggest earliest moments where the breath was taken out of me and God went, this is where I became flesh and I was like, I felt like I couldn't breathe. Uh, it had like such mm. a quiet heavy sacredness in that place and then to see Paul just kind of uninhibited Hmm. quite quite an unassuming man just walks down the steps and just flat on his face and then to our left to see he's a real man's man to see the monk on their knees I was just I was beautiful I was was just the cave likeness of it the quietness of it the unexpectedness the simplicity just took my breath away and and I actually loved this room because it encapsulates, uh, you know, Philippians 2, 6, 8, Christ came in a humble and lowly way. This room, this yeah. cave was just humble and lowly. It, it was a bit messy, a bit all over mm. the place. It was beneath the surface. Uh, it didn't have many bells and whistles. And then this is the shrine. And so you can see there on the ground like a little silver star-like structure. And again, mm. you can put your hand down there and touch the actual geographical location where Jesus was born, but that sense of like, God said, this is where I came to earth, right here. Yeah. Took my breath away. And again, the, the simplicity of the environment, but the heart of worship, is it felt like those we're in the room with were leaning in to worship the King of Kings. And again, that sense that yeah, heaven met earth in this room. Like the game was changed as... Christ became one of us, and and that's where that's where it happened. And again, the posture of worship it just completely changes everything around it. Yeah, it was beautiful, beautiful. And then onwards to Galilee. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so this was oh, the Sea of Galilee. Galilee is just amazing. So we're driving uh, two and a half hours north from Jerusalem, and uh, Galilee is actually a freshwater lake. Um, some 20-something kilometres long and 13 kilometres wide and was just, it was really special. We have joked about C3 Galilee as our next church plant, uh, mostly just because it rhymes and there's no sense of God telling me that's what we're going to do, so just in case you... Um, So we had spent four nights in inner city Jerusalem and doing, you know, tours all around in and that and lots of driving and then... This was our second location, um, so we spent three nights accommodation here on the Sea of Galilee. And again, it was just such a stark contrast to the, the <clears throat> bustling complexity of inner city Jerusalem mixed with the aridness of the desert. Then we kind of got to the Sea of Galilee and the area around that, and there is a genuine kind of peace and quietness and uh, we both kind mm. of felt, in fact, all of us in the group kind of felt like we exhaled, uh, both in the natural and spiritually. And it was just such a stark contrast to places. Mm. And, and then knowing <clears throat> that so much of Jesus's ministry actually occurred around this place felt like to me the New Testament just came alive because I'm like, ah, <laughs> yep, th- th- this is grace. 
this is love, <laughs> this is peace, this is all those New Testament principles that you kind of want to take with two hands felt just absolutely encapsulated in this region. Yeah, so we, we were staying at the southern end of the Sea of Galilee and where the head of the Jordan River comes out and then a lot of Jesus' ministry and he was, he was based up in the north of the sea in Capernaum for two to three years uh, and right close by there is the Mount of Beatitudes where he spoke the Sermon on the Mount, and so shall we? This shall we go there? On the Sermon on the Mount, speaking. On yeah, on the Mount, speaking part of the sermon. What were you thought I was going to say? You said on the Sermon on the Mount. Oh. <laughs> they know I'm yeah. not on the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> There's a little <laughs> scripture <laughs> standing on it. I'm speaking. Anyway, whatever. Let's yeah. Just the video. <laughs> From Matthew five. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are these men, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecute for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before. Beautiful. So we kept it authentic because that's the way it would have been, right? You can hear the people yelling, you can hear the birds, you can hear the wind. You know, we often have these sometimes romanticised image of, you know, Jesus delivering the Sermon on the Mount to a pin-drop silent audience. But the reality is, is there was a lot of noise and clutter and chaos probably going on while he did that. And so, yeah, we just recorded that on our phone. <clears throat> Jace also did it. I was squinting. It was like 44 degrees. So I'm doing my best to be eloquent and sophisticated. But We played hers because hers is just way better than mine. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Uh, if you give 10 bucks to Beyond, I'll show you mine. It's real bad. It's, uh... And then this is just <coughs> me taking a photo of that aspect uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. And behind us is a church. And again, a very frequented church. High on church of the Beatitudes. Church of the Beatitudes. <coughs> it's, it's a beautiful one, but one that didn't necessarily impact us in the same way. But the location certainly did. Uh, and then we're going to take you now to the Sea of Galilee. And so... Uh, this is a photo that I took uh, on arriving. It's a, uh, mm. when we arrived at our accommodation. And that's, so that's what we saw. Walking from our room to where we ate together, we were in a working kibbutz, kibbutz uh, and had a yeah. It was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. Wonderful and, time. And something special about that sea. So then we ventured out on a boat. <clears throat> on the Sea of Galilee and this is a, a quite a touristy thing that you do that a lot of people do and uh, we had the choice of being on a boat with you know 60 other people or just by ourselves and we opted for our, by ourselves and as we got on the boat uh, they were quite adorable the crew put up the Australian flag for us and played the Aussie national anthem <laughs> okay here we go 
blaring out across the Sea of Galilee. Blaring out across the sea. <clears throat> and, and then, uh, kind of without sort of prompting or, or description, starts playing uh, a worship song. Yeah. And on, really loud, like beautifully loud. But we're just now out in the middle of the sea, just the just our small tour group on on this boat playing. What a beautiful name! What a beautiful it is. name is Blair, and they just picked it. I, we're not quite sure why they picked that song, or I mean, they knew we were pastors, but it wasn't like we gave them, you know, our top five songs. And um, and so there's a little video now um, that's as the song is playing, and that's me just. I think this is just yeah, after true. that, and we're just in a yeah moment of reflection. And so, this was this was probably my other second top moment. Like the tears just started streaming down my face and, that, and there's such a peace and a tranquility about the Sea of Galilee and you're thinking about Jesus on the boat and J- Jesus walking on the water and all those iconic kind of New Testament stories, thinking that it happened here. But with this sort of name above all names, what a beautiful name, uh, worship song, we were just compelled to worship. Uh, Jesus just met me on that boat, was so utterly present, his sense of reigning, his sense of providence, his sense of glory and mercy, and we were just kind of absolutely taken aback uh, for the next sort of 10, 15 minutes, all of us were just kind of in a worshipful days, just of the the goodness of Jesus and the goodness of God. Yeah, and it did seem to draw worship from us, and it's, it's this stirring deep within and and when we really see something of who Jesus is worship is a natural response uh, if we're going to embrace him for who he is then worship happens uh, and we we just had so many precious little moments of worshiping him uh, that I, I just feel super grateful yeah. um, there's a little video of, of Jace now uh, that I just sneakily caught. So that's him standing on the Sea of Galilee. And, I walked um, on the water for a little bit and uh, it's quite special. I don't have any video it's evidence a... of that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was, I was really struck by Jace's sense of worship. He's a prayer guy, right? And so often in contexts where, where Jesus, where Jace senses Jesus' presence and, and those sorts of things, he leans in in prayer. But I just regularly saw him with his hands up and, and not speaking, not, you know, belting out prayers, not even singing a song, but just hands up in worshipful pose. And there was a number of moments where, where that happened and that just really impacted me. And that, that's often what happens as pilgrims is you're, you're compassionate and um, impacted by those that you're journeying with stories and that too then resonates in your heart. And so occasionally I just grabbed my my phone as I watched him be impacted by mm. that because it was precious and beautiful. Mm. It was very special. And this is a, a pic of the, our final day in Israel and I got up early and did a prayer walk uh, around, the, around the edge of the sea to capture the, the sun rising. And I mentioned it prayer on, on Wednesday night. That, uh, so I was worshipping and I, was, I, I wanted to actually sing and make noise because there was no one around. And so I got a phone on my, uh, a song on my phone and turned it up 
full bore, had it in my pocket and, and then I'd see something like this and go, oh, I have to take a photo and put it back. And, and so I'm just worshipping, lifting the name of Jesus and yeah, Jesus. And, and then I look up and there are these two tourists about 10 feet away uh, walking towards me with really large eyes. Uh, wondering what this guy is doing. And so then I'm trying to, desperately trying to turn my phone down, but I'd left my camera on. And when you push the, the, that side button when the camera's on, it just takes photos. And so the volume's not going down and I'm ferociously pushing the button and then I'm getting it out. And so I've got all these photos inside my pocket. And then while I'm getting it out and I'm pushing, pushing, I took about 70 photos as I'm pushing the, the volume down, volume down, and it wasn't going down. I'm like, what is wrong? And then, then you're like, well, maybe God wants them to hear the worship. Uh, and it, no, it's just me being a moron who had my camera on. And then I realised and turned it down and said, oh, good morning, and uh, kept walking and uh, went, well, Lord, that's in your hands. I just wondered whether you were going to go into that's in accent territory. In your hands. Preparing, just preparing it's, myself. Uh, okay. And so, uh, as part of this whole experience, uh, staying on the Sea of Galilee, there are a number of signs saying swimming is prohibited. <laughs> and, so uh, first day, as soon as we arrived, the three boys, we jumped in exactly next to those signs because uh, we had to like get all in the sea. Australians, we read the signs and then did our own thing. And, uh, and so we made the decision as a, to a group that we were going to renew our baptism vows in the Sea of Galilee. The head of the Jordan, head, yeah. Head of the Jordan, Sea of Galilee. So obviously an iconic, symbolic, uh, beautiful place. And so there's just a little excerpt of me being baptised now. Thank you. And so I love this video because I love that you can hear the birds and the water and there's a stillness and a quietness. Obviously, I love, love the video because of what it encapsulates and all of us participated and prayed with each other. It was a very beautiful moment to do yeah. as a team because and the water was really warm. Uh, it's really rocky. It's a, it's a completely different sort of water experience to what you're expecting in Australia. There's trees in the water uh, and there was, you know, a few tourists and helicopters and various things at various points. Uh, but that was an incredibly special moment. And then we snapped this photo at the end, uh, a, a selfie of the team. And for those of you that watch The Chosen uh, and like follow The Chosen <laughs> on Instagram, and so at the top is the cast of Chosen, in fact, Jesus and the disciples. If you haven't seen The Chosen, Jesus is uh, second row, far right, beard, smiley face. And so we snapped this selfie and I'm like, that reminds me of something. And I'm flicking through my, <laughs> flicking through my photo reel and I'm like, hey, <laughs> look at us. Uh, and so Hannah just behind Dan there with the glasses. I'm like, well, you're in the Jesus seat. You're in the world seat. <laughs> no pressure. And um, I'm where Peter is, but obviously I don't have muscles like he does. So <laughs> I wasn't flexing quite as much. But it's just I'd, I loved the fact that we'd kind it's of got crazy. this accidentally. And the joy on our faces, we're all, we're 
all wet. We've just been dunked, but it was um, it actually just felt really beautiful and really iconic. So <laughs> it's one of our faves. Thanks so much for joining us here on our podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more about our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, go to c3hh.com.au.